0: Such a good song. Welcome to The Best There Ever Was, the professional wrestling podcast where we talk about the art form that is pro wrestling and the emotional connection that keeps us coming back. As always, I'm Chris. I'm Fax, And we are the Curtain Jerks. And on this season of The Best There Ever Was, as we told you last week, we're doing something special. We're doing some quarantine podcasts and talking about everything that's important in the world of wrestling right now. And, of course, one of the most important things is we just hit the one-year anniversary of AEW.
1: Oh, yeah. And I got to say, uh, I am prepared for this one. If I had studied for the SATs half as hard as I've studied year one of AEW over the last week, I would have went to a much fancier college. And uh, you know what? We're joined, as we were last week, by our friends from P Determined, Garrett and Derek. How you guys doing?
2: Oh. That's how we're doing. Yeah. Two claws, two sips. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having. Hey, and 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 like the good boys that we are, we showed up scheduled, uh, suit and tie, looking dapper. No, I'm just kidding. And we do run ins. Hanging. We do run ins. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the heel podcast? Like FTR uh, in a
0: car, just driving down. We just drove mm-hmm. down into your podcast.
2: That's very well. I I was excited to do this with you guys last week. And now I think we are super excited to be back for week two here and no one's food Um, got stolen today. So that's, that's a highlight. Nobody's food was stolen today, but somebody's food was obscenely late today. So only mildly annoyed, but uh, I think it's better that I have an edge when I record. I think Garrett can vouch for this. When I come in a little uh, perturbed, that's when we get some of the best stuff. And we have a topic that we're going to sink our teeth into for a while. A.E.W. Year One. Well, and yeah, I that mean, presumably is going to make us all happy, right? I mean, this has
0: been I don't know about you guys. I, I, I feel pretty good about year one of A.E.W. Um, I guess and I'll, I'll put it to you guys. Do you feel like year one of A.E.W. lived up to your expectations going into it?
3: Absolutely. This is everything that I've been wanting as a wrestling fan for so long. Well, what is that specifically for you? What, what have you been looking for that A.E.W. provided? Chuck Taylor on my television
2: every single week.
1: (laughs) Orange Cassidy
0: on my television
1: every single week.
2: Tony Schiavone and his little earring on my television every single week.
1: Skinny Tony. Skinny Tony. I love it.
0: (laughs) A, A real wrestling show that's enjoyable and makes sense and
2: builds to things that I'm excited about. I think that labeling themselves as an alternative to WWE is is very appropriate. I think that there are people there that you're familiar with, but I don't think that the show feels like anything WWE has ever produced. Is that fair to say? I think so. I was thinking a lot this week about like what
0: AEW sort of like is a descendant of. And I I really don't think it's uh, WWE in any way other than maybe like WWE in like 2000, that one like. End of the attitude era year that where it wasn't quite where there's like good wrestling too, but I really think production-wise, it looks like Nitro, right? Like visually, mm-hmm. it's that. But I think you get there's lots of different pieces of it. it there's some ECW to it. There's some Mid South. I know Tony Khan says he loves his uh his Bill old old school Bill Watts. That's probably actually probably his favorite thing. that's might be the reason he
2: employs Jr. is just to get him to
0: tell Bill Watts stories. <laughs>
2: Um, as as far as living up to the hype, yeah, I think it's I think it's lived up to all of the hype. I th- I don't know if all of the th- uh people who have become stars in the first year were people we would have predicted becoming stars of the show. Um I think there's other elements of of dynamite and things that we would still like to see developed over the coming years, but I if it's any indication I kind of fuck what we think to a certain extent because just a few months into Dynamite, TNT decided to up their deal with them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's phenomenal. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, as listeners of, of our podcast or just last week's episode probably know, I know I was really burnt out of the, the weekly grind of WWE. I thought it was watching it was a chore. And I, I'm not going to lie, I had high expectations for Dynamite, but I, part of me th- said, can an American company actually do a weekly show that I actually want to see that's more than one hour? And I am riveted. I am just, my dick is just as hard for
0: Dynamite now as it was <laughs> back in October. I think harder in some ways. I think it took them a little it's bit true. to get off the ground all the way, and now it's a super fun two hours on a weekly basis.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely got that year-long blue chew going.
2: <laughs> I think that the this episode's obviously starting off well. If the best way we can describe how we feel towards AEW is just erection references, yeah, and I'll I'll jump on board with that. Um, I totally think that. I in fact, I think I text Garrett just a couple weeks ago and I said about his erection I just get I, 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 yes I, with picks. I said uh, I get really excited when I sit here and think about all of the possible storyline arcs that they could do. And I think so that's so much of the fun in wrestling especially like as you get older and you're not just viewing it as a show that's just playing out over time which is like fantasy booking in your head the futures of a, a bunch of the different characters on the show. And there's just so many possibilities and so many ways they can go like go with things. I'm I don't know if you want to single out one person I but I I'll say this. I am super excited for the future of Hangman Page. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh yeah, and 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 I think that's the beautiful thing about this show is that, like, obviously everyone's always loved fantasy booking, any wrestling fan. But in modern wrestling, you go like, well, how's Vince going to fuck this up? Or yep. or how could they accidentally get something right? Like, I remember when they turned Becky Lynch heel, everyone was like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't worry, don't worry. She'll fix it. She'll fix it. <laughs> Vince fucked it. She'll fix it. With Daniel Bryan, we're like, no, no, no. He'll take care of it on his own. Whereas, honestly, fantasy booking... And just that's the way fans think. It's not They're not actively fantasy booking. It's just the way that you would actively fantasy book like Game of Thrones. And it's just I'm so enthralled that like right now at the top of the card, Chris and I were talking about this yesterday, not on on, on record. We, we are so excited about like what can go on with this tag division, what can go at the top of the card. There's just so much opportunity. And I am so confident that even if they do something I never
0: thought of, it's going to be excellent. When hangman, There's to not me that is, link... Oh, sorry. Hangman, to me, is, is the what AEW promised us that they have paid off on, is the, the idea of... The prince who was promised. The prince who was pro- but the booking that was promised, right? The idea that yes. we're going to care about our characters, wins and losses are going to matter, and the records, I think, are almost a red herring. The wins and losses mattering is Hangman Page losing his, his first shot at a major title, that affecting him, him losing matches... But then also being like, I think I have to step out of the elite, him starting to become an alcoholic, which was interesting, (laughs) sort of and the spiral of that, the relationship between him and Kenny, uh, how that evolved, the relationship with him and the Bucks, them winning. It's all of these things being strung together and this character over the last year having this emotional arc that has led us all to be like, Hangman Page is the fucking best
2: (laughs) and I want to see him win the title um we're not even at the payoff yet too that's the best thing is that the ride already has been great yeah I I agree and it's kind
1: of like Chris I think that I was just kind of fusing a couple things together that that came into really came into focus for me while you were talking which is like it's kind of like in New Japan booking in that wins and losses matter in terms of like momentum matters which we know also matters in real sports right so there's that thing of like It's not your overall for the year win loss record, but like you get four big wins in a row, you get a title shot. That's how New Japan does it too. You don't, you beat Okada once, you're at the top of the, you're at the top of the card, right? Right. And, and yet they fuse it with this great American sensational storytelling that is kind of amazing that these, these BTE guys especially have really been developing that is this, again, love of like, 80s and 90s wrestling but taken to a modern stage and uh, and honestly maybe they do that in new japan but none of us speak fluent japanese so it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't seem like their storylines are as deep as this as a general rule um but and and when it did it seemed like it was when these guys were involved like i'm sure we'll talk about a certain tag team match at some point during this which had a lot of like the only thing i compare it to was the young bucks against the golden lovers where when, when we had Kenny and, and hangman against the young bucks, there's a similar vibe that there was just this really long, beautiful story plus an in ring story. And, and that's the one thing from new Japan that felt the same, but then I'm like, Oh wait, Oh shit. It's three of the four guys are the same.
2: Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, I remember when, when the, they first started making a, a thing out of the win loss record, I remember thinking to myself, Well, when fans were screaming, they wanted wins and losses to matter. I was almost worried that they took that too literally. And I was worried that that was going to be a thing, like the thing that they focused on where I'm like, well, there's no possible way you can book it. And so that like, it's not like sports where you see a team kick ass and it reflects in their record because they're, you know, 20 games above 500. Like AEW doesn't have that luxury, but what they have done is they've made it that there is no wasted momentum either way where, like you said, a few losses put you into, into a title picture. Right. A f- or, sorry, a few wins put you into a title picture. A few losses put you on a storyline arc about you overcoming that adversity. And, like, I think the whole thing that they're doing right now with, like, Joey Janella and Sonny Kiss, they're taking that and turning it into something. So, like I said, no wasted momentum. Yeah. Uh, the Sean Spears stuff is another example of that.
1: Yeah, Sean Spears doesn't need to be the Baltimore Orioles, right? There is no Baltimore Orioles here. That they everybody can can redeem themselves within the context of a year. They also have a lot of different divisions now. Um you know, within there's a a a, a few titles that obviously the women's title, the the men's heavyweight uh, TV title or or sorry TNT title and then the tag team title. There's I feel like that's another great thing is that there's the right balance of titles. You can get too many titles too soon, and it seems like it's for a two-hour weekly show. This feels like the right amount of titles.
0: I agree. (laughs) I will say part of the other thing too that I think has paid off is, I I think one of the things that's almost surprising though is you know all of us were at All In together, and All In was such a like momentous evening, right? Like you talk uh, about dicks being hard i mean <laughs> <laughs> it's never I, gone away i, I mean 10, 000, 10 000 people cried in an arena that night like it was an amazing experience and it's been interesting that i i do think that aew particularly for the big events has been able to live up to that we were at double or nothing it was incredible you guys were both at revolution um which sounded from the way you guys talked about it to be pretty incredible too. um it's, it's kind of amazing that they've been able to sort of maintain that, because I think that was my biggest concern, was that had we peaked on a certain level in 2018 before we even got to AEW, and the answer is not really.
3: Yeah, I was wondering about that myself, like, is every pay-per-view going to be able to feel as big as the last one they've done? I went into Revolution with pretty low expectations, and it ended up blowing me away.
1: Well, and and full gear too, right? Full gear was this. It, it, it on paper it was like before it happened. It was like okay, you got this match with with uh, Omega and Moxley that we thought we were already gonna get in Chicago. We got a great uh, Cody Jericho, yeah. But it was kind of like I don't know Matt, but it was such such a great card. And I think being quarterly and only doing four a year is a big part of that. And I love this cadence that they can they can do big dynamite shows in the midpoint, but they really make it special for the, for the once every three months that they, they put on a, you know, you're going to get your $50 worth.
3: Well, we're so used to watching one pay-per-view a month where we're still waiting to get AEW's version of backlash. Like we want that shitty, just no, no, we don't want it, but we're expecting to get it at some point. Yeah. Well, part of it is that they haven't repeated
0: a major match yet you know they haven't done the thing and and one of the things i think has hurt wwe on, over on the last decades on paper right pay-per-view, yeah certainly yeah they've done matches a few times but you know the thing where a paper the three match formula right the three match formula. exactly and i think that's something that's really hurt cuz wwe as particularly i think in the tens in the teens got very deeply into like it was always a formula like it wasn't like oh sometimes we do rematches it was like forever and ever this is always true and I think breaking out of that has been really nice. That the that means that the big match that they have is more meaningful because you know it's mm-hmm. going to be definitive to an extent. Definitive at least in the moment, right? Not again, not that these guys are never gonna touch again, but for the moment, like that big match is the big match.
3: Yeah,
1: it's, and, we're not happy. Ha- oh, go ahead, Garrett.
3: Oh, I was going to say, we're not having to do that like Shinsuke Nakamura versus AJ Styles for the first time in WWE <sighs> where we're like, oh, this one's going to suck. But by the third time, you better believe it's going to be OK. Bax and I but were there, there for also, the dick
0: kick match, which was uh, that was something we I were there that was in the, the second also, or the third. I don't I don't even I think remember. that
1: was the second. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is then you can you can go back to matches when you leave a little bit more air. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, look at Kenny and Okada. People weren't like, oh, God. Here comes these guys again. No, they, they put them months apart for the most part. And again, like like Moxley Omega, I I, I got to yes. assume we're going to get that match again. And I'm yes. going to be jazzed as all fuck for it. You know, Hangman versus Jericho. I think they will do a like that match was kind of meh
2: at All Out. But And I have to assume that we're going to get Cody versus MJF. Oh, there, yeah. That storyline has to come full circle still. I I I agree with you guys. I I think there's something that's going to be the. Tito, what's, what's the what's gonna, the old adage in entertainment? Always leave them wanting more, right? Yeah, you're supposed to watch something, and it's supposed to be a fleeting feeling, mm-hmm. like that this match may not happen again for a while.
0: Yeah, and it's pretty impressive to consider. Again, they've I've paid them, um, uh, two hundred dollars in pay per view money. <laughs> <laughs> Over the core last year, <laughs> yeah, like that's well, it, a lot,
1: <laughs> but and, and, and worth every penny. It's been worth every penny, and and again across the divisions too. Like it's oh wait by the way, Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks. They have done that match twice on pay per view, but oh, one sure. was a, a ladder match, and those guys are awesome.
0: And Escalera the, de la Muerte.
1: Fair enough, but like the, again, the tag the tag matches are all very different. Even with with the women's division where they really only have four or five women they trust to put on a pay-per-view card yet even there they've, they've basically been able to to keep it pretty mixed up and have some pretty big matches on dynamite too. So it's not like, Oh God, like Nyla and Riho can't touch because we got to save it for the pay-per-view like they're like, fuck it. No, they, they wrestled at one pay-per-view. Now we're going to put them on where they wrestled at the first uh, dynamite, which was essentially a paper, you know, close enough to a pay-per-view and like, you can, you can go back to it.
2: I also think there's something to be said about, and and I know this is only true for a cup like for one of WWE's show, but you know Raw's three fucking hours, Mm. two hours is the perfect amount of time for a nice deep wrestling show, and I think what the other thing you don't get upset about is they don't have to put everybody on the roster on the show every week. Yeah. It's okay if you go a week or two without seeing somebody, and it makes it special when they are there again. It's like it's like WWE's theory with Lesnar, which the the champ shouldn't have to be there every week. Well, I agree, but that's almost taking it to the the extreme with what they do. It's nice when you don't see, I don't know, give me an example of some. It's nice when you don't see Jungle Boy every week, but then you see him every you know every couple weeks. Ah, wearing a Jungle Boy yes. shirt, I just showed on. Well, and it's also it's 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 also
1: weird when your champ is the only guy that doesn't show up every week, right? <laughs> Whereas here, between even just the guys in the elite, right, and you rarely see them two weeks in a row, right? You know, Cody maybe a few times with the, the TV title thing he's doing, but for the most part, you don't you don't see them every week. You see them generally about every other week, at least in ring.
3: They are for the, as big of a roster as they have. They are giving everybody the amount of time that they deserve.
1: Although I, I would probably argue they should give more time to Orange Cassidy. But, you know, I'll, I'll live with it.
0: Here's the problem. I think Orange Cassidy needs his own television show. Like they just need like a half hour after Dynamite. That's the Orange <laughs>
2: Cassidy show. <laughs> I think we'd all watch that. I would love to see him as a talk show host. Like at least for as as a skit at some point where he's trying to host people, I'd be into it. Like, like the orange pit. The there's no <laughs> pit in an orange. The orchard. The, or,
0: the orange. The orange deal. Uh... <laughs> the I, but no, I,
1: I I think by the way that just could, that just made me think of you. Then use that just to set up a program with him and MJF, and how fucking money would that be? See, I can't wow. stop myself. From fantasy booking, even in the middle of a fucking live recording that we're doing right now, MJF versus Orange Cassidy would be absolute fire.
2: Well, Garrett and I have already been fantasy booking Orange Cassidy's heel turn for months Ooh, and how dramatic it's going to be when he uh, super kicks Chuck and Trent in the shin (laughs) and slaps that thigh.
1: I hope it's him and Chuck turn on Trent. Because I, I'd love to see Chucky e as a heel, and as oh Orange Cassidy's God. heel valet. Yes, <laughs> yes. They could be the new. They could be the new best friends. As so heels.
2: if if we were being fair, we're talking about AEW year one. What are some areas that have um, either not lived up to expectations or disappointed you? Like where where are you hearing the majority of complaints mm-hmm. about uh, the first year of AEW? Well, I think there were. There's one thing that was a consistent
0: discussion point for the first few months that I think I'm interested to see how everyone feels about it. Now is the idea that they weren't pushing the elite hard enough, that they hadn't, that they were assuming that everyone knew that Cody, Kenny and the bucks were who they were and they weren't establishing them as stars. Um, I think they sort of did course correct on that. And, but to an extent, I'm not even sure if it was a course correction. I think there was an aspect where they were like, we're going to let some build up some other people, and then we're going to kind of turn it up. I don't, I don't know what the, if the plan was, again, whether it was a plan at the beginning all the way through. But I do think they've done a better job of booking those guys as at the level they deserve, um, and, and up to their hype in the second part of in in the new year in twenty twenty.
1: Yeah I, I i think i I think I agree with that. That that's the I think they did a really good job in, in launching a new television show and establishing, a, like, like they established Darby Allen right away, right? And, and he became a fan favorite. And th- I think they did so much, and that's kind of, I think you're right, that's the one part where they, they slipped on a banana peel. I, I think making Jericho the first champion, in retrospect, was very clearly the correct decision. I wouldn't argue with that, but it does seem like the fact that all of the elite guys seemingly lost all of their early feuds, and outside of Cody, a lot of them didn't know. Like, I, I do feel like, Again, if that's the biggest mistake they made, that's not a huge mistake. But but I do think that they could have... They like, if if you look at Kenny Omega and you look at the matches he's had on Dynamite and who he's been going against and you're saying this guy is legitimately, arguably, the best wrestler in the world and this is how they spent a year of him on TV. It's a little underwhelming.
3: He was definitely the one I was most underwhelmed with. But what was it... Derek, was it at all out? where everybody was basically there to just see Kenny win a match. Right. And it just, everybody felt so deflated to watch him lose. And that kind of felt like a lot of the first bit of Kenny Omega's career here. He didn't seem as cool as he was in new Japan.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you guys. In fact, that was one of my first early criticisms was, you had taken all this momentum that you had been building on the independent and, and the New Japan scene for the last, what, two, three years prior to that. And you would helped build an entire company around that plus Chris Jericho. And so the Jericho outcome, like you said, made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It was just interesting to see, like, all these, like, you know how many fans and attendance at these shows are there to see the Bucks and to see Kenny and to see Hangman and see Cody. And it was really interesting. It, go go back to All In, and remember everyone's. I, I I maybe maybe you guys disagree, but I remember so many people having the discussion. Like, man, it would have seemed very arrogant and 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 boisterous. But Cody Cody absolutely could have gone on last, and nobody oh, yeah. would have complained if that had been how the show ended. And it almost seems like Cody's nature of wanting to give back and do jobs for guys permeated that entire group the first year where they were just like, we're going to use our star power to get all these people over. But the whole time I was sitting there wearing is what about the people who are seeing you guys for the first time? Right. You don't have to convince me that the Lucha brothers kick ass, but the people who have not been watching wrestling for a decade or whatever, since maybe even since WCW closed, how do you convince them that the, the young bucks are everything that they've been hyped up to be, how do you convince everyone that this, this figure, Kenny Omega coming over from Japan, putting on these epic matches, how does he meet that hype? And I guess it, I don't know that they met that expectation, but I also get it. I also think
0: there was this emphasis at the beginning, and I think still is in some online circles in the conversation about, well, if they're not like gigantic, if AEW is doesn't like beat WWE someday it's a failure. When on the other hand, if you can if you can get ratings that are good enough for TNT to give you a contract that you're profitable and you can then use that money to maintain a business and make the art that you want to make, who cares if you expand your business, you know, to who cares if it becomes as big as WWE? As long as there's enough money in the pot to keep it going, make the art that you want to make and just sort of let it like kind of let the chips fall where they may. You know, Tony Khan is not a poor man. Um, I'm pretty sure his dad gave him enough money and said, Tony, uh, you can have this please don't ask me for like money every year. And he told he's like, I got this. <laughs> but like, if that's the case, then they can run this thing forever and they may as well just make the art that they want to make. I think there's an aspect of our conversation in wrestling that has normalized the, like the greed of WWE as like, well, of course everyone has to be super fucking greedy. Why do they have to be super greedy? Why can't they just make the art they want to make? And as long as enough people are willing to buy it, that it's sustainable. Cool.
1: Yeah, I think just the one counter-argument is that putting everybody else over is also not necessarily a move that you do to make the art you want to make, right? Like, it, it, it's it, – I, I just don't I, – I get what you're saying and I agree with it. I just don't know that, that there's that causation there because I think the other thing is titles, for what it's worth, are a part of the storytelling of wrestling. It is part mm-hmm. of the story. And early on, you have to establish titles. And I think that they're course-correcting now with the TNT title with Cody – But, you know, and Jericho was absolutely the right decision. But I don't know. I mean, SCU over the Young Bucks is the first tag champs. I love SCU. I love them. But that's not establishing the title as much as if you put them in the Bucks. And Riho, as the first women's champion, I I think was a catastrophic failure. I think that that was absolutely the wrong person. It was pretty clear pretty quickly on that Nyla was the breakout star there. Britt Baker had the potential. And Riho, I just don't understand... At all, why you put her as as the first woman's champion? It seems like uh, mind-boggling to me. And then I also have to say, in terms of current stuff, and I know COVID's part of it. Moxley's title reign has been really underwhelming. He was so cool and so hot, and I know I know that COVID's had an impact, and and his opponents haven't been great. But it's again, it's still just past the first year now. You got to keep that title strong. Why the fuck aren't MJF or Kenny or Hangman? You know, they have all these really interesting options that they could be doing at the top of the card with Mox. It'd be amazing. Why the fuck are they going to Brian Cage and Luke Harper and and fucking Jack Swagger? Uh,
2: I, let, me, let me find the middle ground on this debate that we're having because I think we're doing a lot of compare and con- contrast with how WWE is handling things. Everything you just said about Moxley, I would also say about Drew McIntyre. I think not having a live crowd there really does affect how you perceive a champion and how you perceive the top of the card. But what I will also say is if you keep in in touch with any of the the stats coming out on the demographics, AEW is dominating the 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 20 to 40 year old range, 18 to 45. 18 to 45, they're dominating you, the, 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 the straight-up argument to make here in support of everything AEW has done up to this point is they are playing the long game. It's like a team that's rebuilding. Like You have to understand there are concessions you're going to have to make to make the thing work in the long run. And I think, comparatively, if you look at what WWE is doing, WWE's long game is the network and reliving uh, moments from aging stars. It's like every time they get backed into a corner, they bring somebody back from from back in the day.
1: And yeah, and their and, demo information, what their average age is like 60 of the average yes. age of person that watches even NXT, which I remember being surprised by. I was like, well, is probably where the young people are. No, even NXT is is over 50
2: generally. It's crazy. Everybody's dad's love Adam Cole. Babe, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um I just think I think that's worth noting is that I think sometimes like, like, the expression goes, you, to make an omelet, you got to break a couple eggs. And maybe they felt like the Bucks and Cody and Kenny could sustain some short term damage because they know that down the road they can a get themselves over again to just just the same level. And going back to what we said a little while ago, we're hungry for more Moxley and Omega someday. We're 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 hungry for Cody MJF, and they don't have to give it to us right now. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Well, I also think again, just to go back to the Bucks, right? Again, in terms of like great art, if they win the titles first thing, I don't know if it works when they're trying to get the belts from Kenny and Hangman to the same level.
2: For sure, for sure. And but and I also we can't think touch that, anything
0: with that match because that match is perfect. So
2: <laughs> and I think in a twisted in a twisted backwards way that we never would have expected, I actually think Cody's the perfect person to hold that TNT title to start it because there's that general assumption that Cody, Cody should be in the main event, right? That Cody should be in the, the world title picture. I don't think that that was a mistake in booking. I think they specifically knew when they had MJF cost him, that they were eventually going to have a secondary title that they also had to establish. And hopefully whoever he hands that off to in that mid card, whether it's jungle boy or, or MJF or uh, here's another example of a guy they could have run with because he was super over Luchasaurus. mm. Yeah. Er, early on, there was very few people more over than Luchasaurus on that roster.
1: Well, that that kind of brings up another one of my, again, minor, minor critiques is they haven't done great with the big men, right? They actually have now established quite a nice roster of big guys, and it just seems like they're kind of doing the old Hogan era monster of the month thing. If when you look at who Moxley's been beating and like, although that Luchasaurus against uh, what's his name, that MJF's muscle. Wardlow, Wardlow, Wardlow. that that lumberjack match was pretty sweet. And they and and I think they need to be do more hoss fights like that. And that's how you get Luchasaurus hot again. That's how, you know, you get Brian Cage to to just be something that you're actually looking forward to, like on a, a weekly basis, is that I think they could do a better job than feeding the monsters to Moxley and Cody.
0: They kind of keep running the same playbook with the monsters. I think that's been one of the disappo- slightly disappointing sure. things. I, there's been times where the show has felt repetitive, where they've been like, yeah, maybe we don't need the Dark Order and Brandy's group at the same time. Maybe we don't need three different monsters, like Wardlow, Brody Lee, and like Lance Archer squashing people on the same episode of Dynamite.
1: Well, and, and it is the Hogan playbook, too. It's not even a new playbook. Although I will say that that does bring up that we did totally botch, guys. Last week when we were talking cinematic wrestling, we completely forgot to talk about the cinematic wrestling of uh, Lance Archer squashing random jobbers in Darby Allen's backyard. <laughs> that was amazing. That vignette amazing. was amazing. Such such good shit.
2: I wanted to go to that show personally.
1: Oh, yeah. I just want to hang out at Darby Allen's house if this is the type <laughs> of thing that happens there during a fucking pandemic. <laughs> so just jake Roberts so this, shows up with it you know and, and just lance archer starts fucking throwing people out of rings
2: so this is more of a ph- philosophical question but this is something that stuck with me for years and i know this isn't the best person to bring up in relation to it but i remember watching a shoot interview years back with with cornet where he was saying that when he was running ov when we when he was running ovw for wwe he said we were working with uh, the Leviathan who at it was Dave Batista. And he said, as we were building him up, we knew that it was main event or bust for him because we were building. They said they were building him as a future WrestleMania opponent for the undertaker. Is that what it's generally like for all big guys though? And is that why there's usually a log jam? Like how do you, how do you book like Lance Archer mid card? How do you book Brian cage mid card looking the way that they do? You can only have so many big guys, cluttering your roster before you start like just visually saying well why aren't all of those guys the main event picture like how do you make room for anyone smaller but, in and your then when that picture, becomes
3: you... the mid card now joey janela is just getting killed by those guys every week right
1: yeah
2: yeah but i mean that's
1: very kind of Vincism. i mean like luchasaurus has kind of done fine as a mid-carder the entire time you know, the Big Show basically ended up making a career out of being a mid Carter, and yes, he became a monster of the month for main eventers many, many times in his career. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of fundamentally disagree with that, that logic. If you can have good matches, who gives a shit?
2: But have you ever seen a promotion successfully execute that? I mean, I think that the career
1: of tests speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's room for monsters in the mid card. So hey, but before we go into our special surprise for today, I I got another general question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Let's do a whip around. What is the single thing that has surprised you most in a good way about the first year of AEW? What what are you surprised that have how much you've loved?
2: I would say it was it's the response to Orange Cassidy's gimmick. Because I really felt like there was going to be a lot of pushback um, from fans, from Jim Ross, from people there, and that it, it they were going to basically sink that ship because it just didn't me- mesh well. And here we are, as of this recording, my, uh, Cassidy's about to get a match with Je- Chris Jericho. Imagine if I told you that six months ago. Well, and
1: people got it. like. Right away, too. That's the thing I was surprised by, too. Like, not only did they get... They got the whole Orange Cassidy thing immediately. Right. What about you, Chris?
0: I think... I think it's that my when my expectations have been high, they've been met. I think that's a really, really difficult thing to do consistently, but generally speaking, when my expectations have been... I think I, I said it to you right before the, the tag match at Revolution. I said, man... I don't know. I, I'm really worried. Like my, I, I feel like this is going to be incredible, but like, I'm worried I'm building it up too much in my head. And you were like, ah, eh, don't worry about it. It's going to be great. And then of course, you know, it's maybe the greatest tag team match of all time. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's stuff like that where it's like, I don't know if this can be as good as I'm imagining it. And they do tend to pull it off. And that just as a trend has been really, really great. Like that, that to me is, is something that I think is why we have trust in these guys and why, um, why we're committed to aew
3: Sounds good. what about you garrett well to bring it back to chuck taylor i'm a huge fan mm. of best friends and i didn't really ever see them as somebody who was going to have a serious uh run in like a title picture and i yeah. mean tonight is it tonight they're on fighter fest yeah i think so yeah yeah, yeah. as we're, we're recording, recording
1: this, this on as- recording this on canada day yeah
3: yeah, so they are actually going up against Hangman and Kenny, and just getting to see them have a big spot like that. If we're going to talk about getting dicks hard again, there's one. Mm,
1: yeah, my, mine's never gotten soft, but and I gotta say for mine, and this was it, it's not now, but in the pre-COVID era, I think that Dark was my single favorite hour of wrestling programming on a weekly basis. I fucking love AEW Dark on YouTube. It was again now it's dog shit. But when they were doing the arena shows with the live crowds, it basically seemed like they had a 30-minute match to close out every actual live audience. So they treated it like a real main event. There were several like 30-minute uh, Kenny Omega matches. There there's just a lot of really great shit. If you look at the last match on Dark, which would be the last ma- that'd be the go-home match, you know, for the people in the arena, it was so freaking good and I can't wait until they're in arenas again and we start getting an hour of dark that's just going to be fucking amazing and we're going to get random 25 minute Trent Beretta matches.
2: Yes. That, uh, that Kenny Omega Joey Janela match was a lot of fucking fun. Oh yeah. We, we I just watched that again last night actually.
1: There was one too like it was LAX versus Hybrid 2 versus Best Friends versus Private Party which was just a fucking banger. And it, it, they
3: just given it away on YouTube. It was delightful. Once again, just like people like that giving them the time to do what they do. It's it's incredible
2: that they were doing it. Yeah. There's probably some lost revenue there. They're just giving away these free well, that's matches part, that's, on YouTube.
1: That's part of the new TNT contract, though, right? Is that they're going to start doing another one-hour show on, on Turner. So... I, I'm wondering, I thought it was supposed to already start. I'm wondering if they, they know jobber matches aren't going to cut it and, and then maybe they're waiting. But I, I'm pretty sure that was part of the new Turner deal when they, they
2: re-upped with TNT. Are they going to do something cool like on Saturday night? I don't know. I mean, are they, they going to run it during the I mean, it's hard to do another during the week show on TNT if the, if your primary show is on a Wednesday. Like, where do you throw that about the weekend? Well,
1: well, maybe maybe, yeah, they just put it like Saturday night it's always got a Joey Janela lights out match. It's adult audiences only. It's it, they just keep it called dark. Just call it dark, and it's fucking dark.
0: I was gonna go. I was gonna go the opposite. Saturday morning children's show hosted by Orange Cassidy and Luchasaurus yes. and Luchasaurus and
2: Luchasaurus. Stick around, watch this match or whatever. I'd be into it.
0: Look, some of us are trying to brainwash two year olds into loving wrestling. Okay, so we need every bit we can get.
1: All right, well, when, when we when we put this little shindig together, we thought of something a little bit special. So we brought our producer, the Kent man, in to help us out. We, there's just so much to cover with year one of AEW that we, we needed a little structure to get through all of the different topics to really touch on everything. So so Kent, why don't you come aboard and tell us what we're, what we're about to get into.
4: Thanks, Fax. Uh, just to check in, has uh, Fax so far talked at all about how hard his dick is? Check. I think we've all gone around. We're all talking about how hard our. He's mentioned are. it. Oh, okay. Just want to make sure it's an official best there ever was recording. Has he also called something uh, funky, fresh, or something to that effect? Use the word funky. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is, that, is that a thing I do?
4: Well, you did it today. <laughs> um, so what I've got here for for those, for those listening at home is just a is just a, a real funky list of topics and questions here. And God, I'm gonna propose so them, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this by uh, by sort of teams, podcast teams. So it's gonna be the predetermined boys, and then the best there ever was boys. I'm gonna give the question or topic. The, none of us are men. Yeah, the good men. boys and the curtain jerks, <laughs> the men,
1: the good boys versus the curtain jerks. The
4: good boys versus the curtain jerks, and uh, each side will have 60 seconds to give their take on the question. Or topic. 60 seconds and that's it. They can finish their thought, but then they're getting cut off. And uh, we're just going to go through this list and, uh, well, we're going to see how this goes. So um, being that uh, I am the Curtain Jerks producer, I am going to give my jerks uh, the sort of coin toss. Would you like to go second or first for this first question? And then we'll alternate.
2: We'll go second.
1: Yeah, I think like like baseball. Yeah, that's
4: okay. That.
2: Home team, home team gets the bottom of the inning. That's yeah. right.
4: Okay, so predetermined boys, you guys are up first for sixty seconds. I'm gonna do a screen share of this incredible. I will point out all of these questions have up. been
0: vetted by an actual professor.
1: Uh, you it's guys true. can see
4: this. Yes. Yes. Terrific. Okay. So the first question and the clock. Wait, will wait start- for the
1: for the listeners at home. Can I just say it's just a really short pornographic clip. That Kent's gonna have on loop that we know wouldn't one minute's up.
4: But it's a minute. It's a minute long.
1: So it's exactly a minute. Right.
4: You guys know what meat spin is. It's like the actual clip from that, not just the gift. <laughs> All right. So uh, predetermined boys, you're up first. I will say the question, and then the clock will begin.
2: So Garrett, <clears throat> do you want to go uh, talk first or me? Well, I think we're it's we're teaming this. Well, I understand that, but I'm saying who wants to get first word? Well, let's hear what the question is. first word
3: meaning one of you is going to say the first word, the other is going to say the second,
2: and then the third and fourth.
1: (laughs) I feel like you guys are going to take 50 of the 60 seconds to figure
2: out who's speaking. (laughs) Well, not now. Time's up. All right. right. (laughs) I'm ready. You boys ready? Okay. Yep. Here we go.
4: Was Chris Jericho's AEW world title reign too long, too
2: short, or just right? Go. Um, I definitely feel like Chris Jericho's title reign was just right. Uh, I think we live in a different era. Um, and I, I think this doesn't get spoken about enough. It's it's hard with the news cycle being what it is today. Pro wrestling is deeply affected by that. And w- a, a week between shows is an eternity. And I think that in today's era of wrestling, Jericho's title reign was was appropriate. I think if it had gone any longer, you would have started to wonder who he was going to lose it to. We still have uh, 25 25 seconds, seconds, so I'm going to chime in here and let
3: you know I agree with everything that Derek said. Uh, That sounded good to me. Okay, with 17 seconds left, pretty good. Pretty good. All right,
1: Curtain Jerks, are you ready? Born ready. Go. Um, So, I mean, I I can see your point. I would argue too short. I think I would argue too short. I think that there's still a lot of main event guys that could take away that title. I think there's still a lot of top of the card matches that they could have. Um I again, I, I as I said earlier, I'm not super thrilled with what they've done with Moxley as champion. I probably would not have had the Moxley match. I think when you put him in a match with Moxley, Moxley has to win that. But I, I think they could have probably gone another pay per view or two uh before they got to Moxley.
0: Yeah, I think just just a little short. I think there was like one more big match in that title reign, I, I, don't, I don't again. I don't want to say like he needed to hold the belt for like two years, but I think there was a little bit more juice in the in the orange, so to speak. All right, and, and both, both of you, and then Arch Cassidy could have gotten a title shot. Exactly,
4: both of you guys finishing off with time left on the clock. Uh, we'll go to the second uh, topic right now. Curtain jerks, you guys are up first for this one. Sixty seconds is on the clock. The question is. Would Hangman be better or worse off now if he wasn't in the first title match?
0: Go. Oh, worse. I mean, again, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit. I think he had to lose that match in order to set up his trajectory. If he had just been like, oh, I wish I was as good. No, it's it's the failure to be what his compatriots had been and that he had the opportunity in his hands and lost it that really drove everything and i think everyone's been in that situation at a point where they've been in a group of friends and a group of talented people and felt like they were the sixth best one in the group and how that pushes people and drives them is you know part of his story and i think has been a really affecting part of his story
1: yeah i think at at the time i think there was a lot of people that said you know by the time the first all out happened like hangman's not ready for the main event slot And I think that there was some fair criticism at the time, but retroactively, it's impossible, I think, to look at it and say that that wasn't the right decision to put him in the biggest match possible, have him lose, and start this amazing character arc. All right. Good
4: job. Predetermined boys, you ready? The question again is, would Hangman be better or worse off now
3: if he wasn't in the first title match? Go. I agree with them. He'd be worse off. Like, we this has been one of the best character arcs in pro wrestling. This is like Tim Riggins and Friday night lights, you know, season one to season six, seeing how his life is going to arc over all this.
2: I'm going to say that. I think we're all on the same page here. I think that he would be worse off if he had one. And and I think this goes back to what I said earlier about no wasted momentum. You can take a negative experience for a character on a show and turn it into this nice, fruitful storyline that we've been getting. And it's, I'm, I mean, how many possibilities are we sitting here contemplating about uh, where his character could go, where Kenny's character could go, where the elite are going as a group, just based around this one failure back at all, uh, back it all out.
4: All right. Going good, guys. Uh, all right. So now we're back to the predetermined boys. you going, you're going, you're going first on this one.
1: We're going snake draft style. Exactly. I like it.
4: Okay. Uh, So, the question is, what is the year two match you most want to see? What is the year two match you most want to see? Go.
2: I actually didn't know it until we started doing this recording session, but now I'm sitting here foaming at the mouth for Orange Cassidy versus MJF. And I think that will be tremendous fucking uh, entertainment every week. That will be good. I'm also very excited for Hangman versus...
3: Uh, Kenny Omega those two going up against each other is I can only imagine it's going to be a classic
1: all right half the time there curtain jerks are you ready all right so I think we win this one because you guys didn't think the most obvious one possible and that is of course Orange Cassidy versus The Rock right The <laughs> Rock is joining you heard it here first The Rock is joining AEW <laughs> <AW. laughs> He's gonna he's gonna go over John Cena and CM Punk to build him up. Then he's gonna go against you know The
0: Rock at Revolution two. It's gonna be fucking kick ass. And it's gonna be a double main event with Hangman versus Cody, which is the only intra elite match that's never happened. When Cody was a, a shit couple years ago, uh, Hangman was the only one who stayed on his side. And when Cody eventually forms uh, the Four horse people... And turns on everyone. (laughs) And Hangman, and he's like, Hangman, you should be in this group because you're a horse. And Hangman's like, nah, I'm good. And they have, like, a brutal, like, bloody war. Uh, It's going to be incredible. And that'll hurt the most for the cowboy shit
1: guy to not be a horseman. It would really hurt.
4: Mm. Aww. All right. Back to the jerks first. So, very simple question here. Is AEW ready? For Nick Gage, go.
1: Oh boy, uh, I don't know if they are. I don't know that I am, but I didn't. I thought my dick was hard before, but I got like a ball that just got hard or something in addition to, or I just added some girth. I wow. Chris, you're going to have to finish I, this one. Well, I
0: think I think uh, if they get that show, if if their new TNT show starts at one in the morning on Saturday nights, <laughs> I think they're ready for Nick Gage. Otherwise, no. You
1: don't see him just squashing Marco's stunt and becoming a monster of the month for Moxley?
0: No. <laughs> oh, I actually watched a Nick Gage versus Moxley match. Uh, from about 10 years ago, and it kind of sucked, but I I think they were in different places in their careers. I think they'll be better next
1: time. (laughs) Slightly,
0: slightly different.
4: All right, predetermined fellas, you guys ready? Yep. Is AEW ready for Nick
3: Gage? Absolutely they're ready for Nick Gage. We have, what, how many months do we have to build up to this blood and guts match? Derek and I already discussed this. He would have been great to be on Team Moxley... Moxley gets a team of dirt bags, uh, which would include <laughs> Joey Janela, Nick Gage, whoever New else. New Jack. Maybe we can get fucking Schlack Jack- off the GCW. Jack Evans. He could be in there.
2: <laughs> I haven't met a person or promotion that's properly ready for Nick Gage, so I feel like that's a little disingenuous. I know. Um, I. Th- that's a thing we'll never see. That, I, I, unfortunately, we will never see Nick Gage in AEW.
1: I mean, the only Nick Gage match I've ever seen live in person ended in seconds because of too deep a
2: cut. Oh, uh, low-life Louie.
1: Low-life yes. Louie, yes.
2: Jim, you're infringing upon our time right now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Dock him points. Fuck. We'll save that for next time, little hint. Uh, I have also okay. seen
3: Marco Stunt versus Nick Gage live.
0: Ooh,
4: back, back to the jerks now first, right? So now uh, we coincidentally got these two questions that are kind of mirror images of each other. So these are going to be the two next two questions. So we'll go with this side first. Jerks, uh, you're going first in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could sign anyone to the AEW roster, who would it be?
1: I mean, so we ever already covered that The Rock's a done deal, so he doesn't count. <laughs> done deal, yeah. He watches. Um,
0: so there's so many different ways to go. Chris, what are, what are your thoughts? The one that, that really strikes me, and it's not particularly creative, but, you know, they did so much. The Elite did so much for the career of Flip Gordon that I do think there's an evolution of him becoming a main eventer against those guys that we didn't get to see that, I think would be pretty awesome to see. I know he signed a kind of a long-term deal with Ring of Honor, so it's, it's going to be a bit, but um, I do think that would be kind of great. I'd, I'd love to see that at some point.
1: I mean, I am gonna I, I would say that's a great choice, but I got to go with another boring one. I'd say Kota Ibushi, right? Get him back in the picture with the Elite, with Kenny. I mean, if you can get him into the United States, that's just print your own money.
4: All right. Predetermined. If you could sign anyone... To the AEW roster who would it be
2: Derek do you want to start yeah uh, I I think about this all the time um, there's a lot of good choices here I think if you could get Sami Zayn away from WWE and bring him back as El Generico in AEW I think that that would fill a very specific void in that company Uh, a a comedic void and they would get another great wrestler. I think people would go apeshit for that. And uh, I think there's history there uh, with the Bucks and with everybody else. So that's my pick for me. I, I have a hard time choosing between
3: these two, but it would go between either Effie or Mance Warner. I think both of those guys are so good on the Indies and given a microphone, especially Mance Warner, having a microphone in AEW, it just seems like the possibilities are endless there.
1: I think you guys won that one. I, I don't know if people are ready for for Nick Gage, but we are definitely ready for Effie in AEW, no <laughs> doubt about it. I agree. I'll
2: close on that.
4: So, uh, Predetermined fellows, you guys are up first on this. And this next question is courtesy of our good friend Tom Flesher, who helped us out uh, organizing these questions. And this just happened to sort of be a mirror question to the last one. So, Predetermined boys, who would you cut from the roster to make the
3: biggest improvement? go this is on you Garrett. <laughs> well shit i mean if i have to pick somebody who's problematic right now i guess jimmy havoc <laughs> uh, jesus yes. who else though um i mean i i'm not a huge jack swagger fan but i love when he kisses his wife so not him <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a, such a very specific quest. Uh, that's hard. I think Jimmy Havoc's a good answer for obvious reasons, but I also think I really don't know if they're properly utilizing Marco Stunt. Like, I don't know. I don't know what Marco Stunt's future is, and I think eventually it's going to get whittled down to Luchasaurus and, and Jungle Boy. Um, I don't think that the roster would hurt if if he suddenly wasn't there tomorrow. That's sad. <laughs> All right, Curtain Jerks.
4: Who would you cut from the AEW roster to make the biggest improvement?
0: The number of more Kip Sabian matches I need to see in my lifetime is zero.
2: <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, I, and it, it, I actually think, and
0: here's the thing: I, I will say because I, I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. So, right. if if Kip could simply never wrestle again and just manage Penelope as as her like boy Friday, I think that works. Great, and that's that's fine. I just don't need to see him do fifteen minutes of high spots leading to nothing. I, I and he is actually pretty good in that role, but I have to say so so if the question
1: does it have to be someone on the roster, because if I can cut anybody, it's it's good old JR. I would I would get rid of him in a New York minute. I think Excalibur and Tony Shavani are fine. You can throw in a rotating third, Jericho's awesome at it, Cody's awesome at it. I think that that's a huge improvement, quite frankly.
4: Okay. We're back to the jerks going first, right? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Curtain jerks. Who is your pick if AEW introduced a six-man title?
1: Oh, man. There's so many. There's so many. I mean, the Jurassic Express would would be a potential choice, I think. I mean, SCU... Chris, who who you got?
0: I do think that the first champs to establish this, I think it'd be super fun to see the best friends in Orange Cassidy, you know, holding those belts for a bit. Um, Like Orange Cassidy yeah. hot tags seem like it'd be a pretty fun thing. I, I think that'd be a pretty great team as the first champions. And I think them losing the belts would be like instant heat for whoever the next champs were.
1: And if I could book it even more, I'd put them over the hung bucks because I think that that would be a great comedy match, but that would also have stakes. I think that's
0: just a, that's a match I want to see. Yeah, I do too now.
4: All right, predetermined. Who is your pick if AEW introduced a
2: six-man title? I had not thought about this until this just came up, so this is actually catching me a little off guard. I think you guys listed a couple of really good options. I think uh, Jurassic Express... Uh, as far as being homegrown talent and like the last year. But I also think, and don't overlook the obvious, I, I'll play, touch on this probably later, but I think Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks holding those those tag titles would be fantastic.
3: Yeah, I, you already said best friends as well, best friends in Orange Cassidy, but getting to see Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks go up against them, or like you guys said, Hung Bucks, Man, last time I saw the Hung Bucks was not a huge fan because I was, I was even mean to Hangman Page. I want a chance to redeem myself. I think
0: you told that story on our podcast, Garrett. <laughs> I think you um, did. So if you, if you want to go into the archives, you can hear <laughs> Garrett talk about when he was mean to Hangman Page.
4: <laughs> okay, predetermined. How would you have booked the first
3: year of the women's division differently? Shit, I probably would have started with Nyla Rose rather than Riho.
2: I think that's I think that's a fair, in hindsight being 2020, I think that's a fair assessment. I also, um, I guess Chris Statlander wasn't there from the beginning, was she? No, she was added so, partway through. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that there was a lot of hype around Britt Baker, and I think she's finally found her footing as a heel as opposed to a baby face. Um, But beyond making Nyla the the first champion, and I don't know if there's a whole lot else you can do. I mean, sheeta has been great the last... uh, Actually, the whole fucking time. So, yeah, beyond that, I I can't think of anything. All right, Curtain Jerks. How would you have
1: booked
4: the first year of the women's division differently?
1: Yeah, I I think we agree. I think you start with Nyla. Again, I think Riho, as I said earlier... Doesn't really work as the first champion. Like the scrappy underdog as the first champion is just kind of a flawed story. I think since it's a new division, almost everybody is brand new to American audiences for the most part. I think you start out with strong heels on top. Yeah, you, ha- you got Nyla. Make pr- they should have made Britt Baker a heel at the very beginning. You know, maybe you put Awesome Kong and uh, uh, with with uh, Nyla as an advisor. I think there's a lot of great stuff you could have done. Then you can either build up Shida or Riho, either one, as, as that kind of underdog, great baby face.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost like you cut out, if you just cut out the first three months of the division and shortcut to where they got to in February, I think that's what you want. Um, I think we start showing Britt Baker uh, old Chris Jericho promos from 1998 earlier, because <laughs> um, that's been working.
4: <laughs> okay, Curtain Jerks, on you. Quite simply, best Cody promo, go.
0: Like I said, I love my brother. I, I, I watched this, I like the first time I saw this promo, when he did the the Dustin promo, I watched it like five times in a row. And each time, had, like goosebumps. I mean, it's one of the most incredible four minutes for a match that when they announced it, I was like, ah, I don't know if that's going to be great. And it basically sets up one of the most intense live wrestling experiences I've ever seen. But it's, it really starts with this idea of Cody getting across everything uh, that that match means. I mean, he's been on a, a run. Like, he, Cody, it, it's basically to me, Cody and Mick Foley in 1995 for the best promo runs ever.
1: I mean, except for, I think they'll, if he if count as a promo, except for maybe after that match. Right. Yeah. When, when, if you count that as a promo as somebody, as we covered last week, they got into many, many fights with my brothers and were bloody and beaten. But at the end, you still love each other. I mean, I knew it was coming when I rewatched that this week and it still fucking destroyed me.
2: Predetermined best Cody promo. Go. I mean, I think both of those count. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's like whatever mood you're in, it, it hits you the right way. Uh, I think the promo that he cut on Jericho mm. Uh, drew a lot of attention from people, and I think that one is equally powerful, especially him tying in the whole millennial thing and Jericho uh, referring to him and his the elite as entitled millennial bitches. I thought that whole promo that he cut on him and him being the son of a, a famous former uh, NHL player, I thought that played really well, and it got me excited for the, uh, the Jericho-Cody uh, match. Cody can do such a good job of making
3: us want to cry. Uh, What about just at the end of all out or the all all in just him kind of cutting a promo on pro wrestling and saying that we're all part of this?
2: Yeah, I think that's another one. I think Cody's really good at rallying the troops. Yeah, there's no wrong
1: choice to this one. They're all good.
0: They're all amazing. As I said, I think it's him and Mick Foley in 95 in terms of greatest like promo runs ever.
1: All right, predetermined.
4: This is a, this is a classic who-do-you-got choice. Breakout stars, Darby Allen versus MJF. Who
3: do you got? I would actually go Darby Allen on this one. He was a guy that I wasn't expecting to get as over with the crowd as he did. Uh, he does incredible stuff in the ring. Not that MJF isn't improving in the ring, but I think Darby Allen just surprised everybody and was with the coffin drop, everything. He's great.
2: I think characters really stick and, and stand the test of time. And I think MJF not enough can be said ever about how he strikes a chord with everybody. And he, he gets paid to be a professional prick. And he's damn good at it. And every he's and how many people do you see to this day and age who are this committed to the heel character that they live it twenty four seven to where even er, earlier this week he was he was dunking on Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus on Twitter in ways that like it's I just I think MJF is going to last a long time. Darby Allen's going to kill himself before <laughs> too long. Oh, 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 brutal. Oh.
1: Went dark on that one.
2: In the yeah. ring, he dark? meant I... not in real life.
1: Really? Really?
4: Come on, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, we know.
4: Curtain jerks, breakout stars, Darby Allin versus MGF.
1: Who do you got? I mean, I feel like, Chris, we've talked about this, right? Where we're like, MJF from between all in and then uh, double or nothing. In that short a period of time, he went from a guy that did both of our podcasts, and that's how we met each other.
0: And he was spectacular on both of them.
1: He was, but he literally went down every single podcaster, podcast row, just to try to build his star. Because anyone's listeners was was something. To just months later at Double or Nothing, he's interrupting Brett the fucking Hitman Hart, getting more heel heat than anyone, and is instantly goes from somebody that nobody knows to the biggest heel in the company like that in seconds.
2: Yep.
0: Also, seriously, go in our archives, both of our archives, and listen to our all-in episodes with MJF. They're incredible. He <laughs> <laughs> was already an asshole back then. He
4: spit in my mouth. All right, jerks. You guys ready? Regrouped. Yeah. Who is the most underrated wrestler on the roster?
1: Wow. Um, man. I-, I would probably say Sheeta in my mind. I think... Sheeta is, it's easy to call her kind of the, the the workhorse of the women's division, but I don't think she gets enough love for just generally having just consistently, consistently great matches um, against anybody. Like, her, again, her her match against Britt Baker where Britt breaks the nose, kind of her pro, Britt's promos were coming around, but that's what made me feel like, hey, I actually really like this match in the ring. And that's kind of a first for a Britt Baker match. Yeah.
0: I would also say, I think there's a lot of people, not in this group of, of, people talking right here but out in the world who just don't understand how amazing Joey Janela is and I get it like it's he hasn't always gotten the chance to show everything that he can do but like there's a reason why people fucking love Joey Janela and I I think he's gonna get his due in in, in time
4: all right predetermined the most underrated
3: wrestler on the AEW roster Chris you took my answer oh I'm sorry I'm sorry no, Janella, he is great. He is actually very good in-ring. A lot of people look at him as just a deathmatch guy. Honestly, he's only done a handful of deathmatches. Uh, if you go back and look at some of the stuff he's done, like with David Starr, uh, don't mention that. Uh, Derek, go ahead. <laughs> Can't leap that out. I was going to
2: say, some, somebody, somebody who uh, has really impressed me when he's had singles opportunities, not that he doesn't shine in his tag team matches, I think Trent is a really good fucking wrestler. And anytime they've put him in a singles match, I think it's shown. They've tried to do some of the similar stuff with Scorpio Sky, and I think you could put Scorpio Sky in that same conversation as somebody who, if they were going to split up tag teams, you can tell who would survive very well, and I think Trent would be fine. Not that I want to see it happen, and I think you could say the same thing for Scorpio Sky.
1: All right. Until, Until Orange Cassidy turns on him.
2: I think you guys are doing a
4: little too good at this. So we're going to speed things up and we're going to give right. you, you're going to get 30 seconds to answer the, the rest of these and we'll see how this goes. All right. Predetermined. You ready? Yep. Oh shit. We're first with this. Yep. All right. Worst abandoned gimmick slash angle. Go.
3: Shit was uh awesome Kong cutting everybody's hair off. Where'd that go?
2: What happened to the sex cult that I grew to n- know and love uh, <laughs> in the Dark Order from the first few months? Uh, they, they really pushed them heavy and then really kind of had to realign what they were a few months in uh, with Brody Lee coming in. That's true. The sex cult just completely disappeared. Nope. Nope. Now they are a, a formal business. <laughs> with suits and everything. Like any good sex cult becomes just
4: sets up an LLC. Curtain jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Worst abandoned gimmick angle, go. Or a religion, boom.
0: <laughs> Remember when Kenny Omega just, like, was weird for three months on on being the elite for no reason? Like, I don't know. That was terrible. And then he was just like, now I hang out with Hangman Page and we win matches again. It, it's fine. I, I, No one needed to see the end of that. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, what about the bunny? Now, this might be a, a gimmick, right? But just, she went from Ally, then she's the bunny... Now she's Allie again. We don't know where Allie was while the bunny was out here. I I, I don't know if it's supposed to be a gimmick, but it's dumb. Whatever it is.
3: Now she's hanging out with our gym teacher.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Curtain Jerks, I have a question I'd like you to answer for me, please. What was the second best tag team match in year one of AEW?
1: The second. Well, yeah. So I think we all know what the best match is. So I would probably say my second favorite would have been uh, Young Bucks against LAX at, I believe it was Full Gear. I thought I thought that match was fucking amazing. And I think LAX doesn't get enough love for how great their matches have been.
0: I will all toss in the pile Lucha Bros against Hangman and Kenny from uh, the second match they had right before Revolution was, was pretty fucking banging.
1: I like your choice.
4: All right, predetermined, what was the second best tag team match in year one of AEW?
2: The match that I predicted before the show that would be match of the night at All Out was that uh, ladder match between the Lucha Bros and Young Bucks, because they had wrestled so many times, I think people slept on how good that was going to be, and I just, I thought that was fucking fantastic.
3: Yeah, that had some of the craziest spots in it. That, uh, the Canadian Destroyer off the ladder through the table, yeah, you can't Honestly, that one is so good that it might even be close. It's pretty close to that Hangman match.
0: No, it's not. Ooh. <laughs> All right. We can go two hours on
2: just that.
1: Yeah, this is this is our last podcast together. If that's what, <laughs> we're
2: going to have ignorant opinions like that. We're not going to do this again because every time we try to record together, my food doesn't show up. <laughs> that's true. Derek, I'm going to send you a Hello Fresh box. You don't
0: have to order out. It'll be there. <laughs> it's it's- <laughs> All right, that's fine.
4: So predetermined, fellas. Um, listen, let's let's put all this wrestling stuff aside for just a second. I Hell yeah. get to, oh. I get to see the the curtain jerks all the time. I spend a lot of time with them, and um, I'm coming clean with this on the air. You know, I can bring up a lot of things with them, but I I can't bring up like everything with them. You know. All right, that makes sense. With you guys, beca- maybe because your your distance keeps us apart, it seems a little bit easier for me to open up, and like ask you the things that are sort of really weighing heavy on my head and my heart.
2: And Don't dip the pen in company ink, bro.
4: That's true. So I so I guess that means I can fuck both of you guys, and I will do so <laughs> uh, with this with this question. But this is something that I've been I've been wanting to ask the jerks for a while. I just haven't figured out the right way to do it. So um, I will ask you guys. um, And this means a lot to me. Does a character like Luchasaurus or Orange Cassidy ever win the AEW
3: World Championship? (laughs) Go. I think if they want to sell a whole bunch of action
2: figures, they're going to put that belt on Luchasaurus. Is this truly a pro wrestling revolution if a character like Luchasaurus or Orange Cassidy have no shot at winning the AEW World Championship. And and if what's the point of this Chris Jericho-Orange or Cassidy match if not to put him on a trajectory to be the top dog in that company? What, what What's it all for? Thank you, Le Champion. <laughs> Jerks, does a character like Luchasaurus or Orange
4: Cassidy ever win the AEW World Championship?
0: No. And I will say this, though. That it's not to say that Orange Cassidy couldn't win the title. I think if Orange Cassidy ever wins the AEW title, he's kind of fundamentally a different character than what he's been for the first year. I think they'll. I, I think there's absolutely depth and evolution in that character. But much like Mick Foley with Mankind was a different character when he won the title than when he was just starting out. Um, I just don't see someone who's sort of in that role. Yeah, uh, never. Winning. Never's a long time, but I agree.
4: All right, curtain jerks. In your opinion, how important were the original
1: Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen in building AEW? Oh, so I mean I'll jump in. I mean, I think Fighter Fest, the first Fighter Fest was amazing if you rewatch it, and it really had the structure of what their TV show became. I think giving fans those free shows to build, I think was super important. It set the tone of what a TV show for this could be. It helped establish stars like Darby Allen. I think it was super duper important and retrospectively the absolute right call.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it got over like what the range of these shows could be, the kinds of things you could see, like the hardcore match uh, at the end of Fighter Fest.
4: All right, Predetermined. How important were the original Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen
2: in building AEW? I, I completely agree with the jerks. I think early on, uh, it really did set the tone for the wide variety that you can expect from the company. And... I do remember specifically just being huddled around my laptop watching Fighter Fest and being super excited about what was to come. Yeah, we were just craving content at that point, too. All right.
3: Mm,
0: Content.
4: (laughs) We're going to do two more questions. Okay. Predetermined, boys, you guys are up first. All right. Do Sammy Guevara's controversial comments about Sasha Banks derail his momentum and potentially... His AEW career.
3: Oof. A little bit. I think, though, he is so good in the ring, he's going to make people forget what he said. Should we forget what he said? No, but hopefully he can learn from it and do better.
2: I think it's going to take some time. Uh, Time heals most wounds, and I think that uh, thankfully it was nothing that he actively did. It was more the the comments he made. And I think that if as long as he's working to repair and he's shown every indication he's gonna work to be a better person.
4: All right, jerks, you ready? Same question to you. Go.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see how there's any way that it doesn't derail him, right? Just he's not gonna be on TV for a while. It's it's gonna hurt his momentum. I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. I do think he'll be welcome back. Um, from what I've heard from people on the roster, it seems like they're, they're all willing, even the, the the females in the roster are, are okay with him coming back, so it's going to just take some time.
0: And it's going to kill ultimately though, him being a thinking... heel. Okay, it's going to hurt. It's gonna... They're not going to be called like sex gods anymore, but him being a heel is going to help.
4: Okay. Jerks. The final question, and then we're going to do one kind of each, every man for himself, quick fire round. Okay. Um. Who has the most consistently great in ring performances on Dynamite?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I would have said for sure, um, Kenny and Hangman, but but watching it back, I mean, I think there's a strong argument to be made for Moxley. He's really had some really terrific stuff on the Dynamite show.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's been great. Uh Darby's been really great too. Um, but, oh yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to argue against Kenny and Hangman too. I mean, they've been amazing.
4: Predetermined, who has the most consistently great in-ring
3: performances on Dynamite? The first two people that come to mind are Darby and Jungle Boy. Mm. Jungle
2: Boy yeah. versus Cody, yeah. I would actually throw Best Friends in there. I feel like every time I've seen Best Friends in a tag match on Dynamite, it's been it's been worth watching. And they've been building them very well for months, and to the point where, like we said earlier, they're they're a legitimate threat to the tag titles now because of it. All
1: right. Oh, man, they walked us off. They walked us off with that last win. So Our own goddamn show.
4: We're going to do one last question. Each of you will have 20 seconds to answer it, so it's not team-based anymore. Each of you. And the order will be the order that you are appearing in my in my Zoom boxes. <laughs> Derek, followed by Chris, followed by Garrett, and Fax cleaning up. This question is a fill-in-the-blank question. A year ago, I had no idea I'd be
2: this excited to see blank every week. Uh, Luchasaurus. I've never seen a big, tatted-up man in a dinosaur mask move like that, and I can't wait to see what comes next.
4: (laughs) All right, maybe 20 seconds is too long. But, Chris, a year ago I had no idea I'd be this excited to see Blank every
0: week. Our role model, Britt Baker, if you told me... A, that I'd be excited because I, I was really not into Britt Baker at the beginning. But if you told me, like, basically, she's going to do 1998 Chris Jericho down to the promos, some of the verbiage, I'd have been like, I don't know if that's going to work. It's amazing. Every time she's on screen, the, the notes to Tony Schiavone, chef's kiss. She's just mentioned missing Ralphus.
2: <laughs> Her Ralphus is, is, R- he is. Yeah, Rhea. She's well, Rhea. I meant literally Ralphus. Can we bring <laughs> Ralphus back? He's probably available. <laughs>
4: All right, Garrett, a year ago, I had no idea I'd be this excited to
3: see blank every week. Brody Lee. I really am excited every time he's on screen now. And his match against Moxley, which another guy I didn't, I wasn't super excited about. uh, Yeah, they've both been awesome. I'm terrible at this game. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you did fine. Yeah, I thought you did pretty good.
4: Uh, Okay, and finishing up, Mr. Facts. A year ago, I had no idea I'd be this excited to see blank every week.
1: I mean, for me, it's Tony Schiavone. This is a guy that was out of wrestling forever, and then a year ago, he's making dick jokes about the 90s and slinging blue chew, because I got to mention that (laughs) at both ends of this. And he's legit gone back to being the best commentator in wrestling, and I fucking love it, and he's amazing. And he's a JMU
0: grad So go go Duke Dogs Which it's interesting Because it's not Obviously it's been 20 years Since Tony's been around But it's probably been like 30 Since he was the best commentator In wrestling (laughs) (laughs) What a time to be alive And now he has no problem
1: Going 30 with Lois Because of Blue Chew Not Uh, a sponsor Yeah not yet
2: White Claw and Blue Chew Are surprisingly not sponsors Of this podcast
1: (laughs) Not yet
0: we're working on it. White claw and uh, blue Chew have a have a predeterminedly curtain jerky night.
2: <laughs> does every does everyone in in this chat hate Jim Ross on commentary for AEW? I think he's gotten above
0: hate for me. He, I think he's been better the last few months. But yeah, I mean, I don't,
1: I don't really love him. Well, and I will say one thing is if you watch Fighter Fest and at the first one, and you watch F- Fight for the Fallen, he is so bad. And so, didn't even bother learning people's names. That it, it. He seems better,
3: but I, I, I don't like him. Garrett, you know how I feel about Jim Ross. He, though, in the last couple months, it seems like he has grown to like these characters a little bit better, or
2: at least know who the hell they are.
3: <laughs> yes,
2: I, I, I remember being kind of excited at the start of AEW for the combination of Shivani and Jim Ross. If if for no other reason than it was like watching two voices of the Attitude Era, the late 90s, early 2000s wrestling, working together. Um, Yeah, there's times where you can tell Jim Ross really has lost several steps, and he can't keep up with what he once was. He is learning that racism is bad, though. So he's like,
0: he's in on that. So that's good. (laughs) He said that on Twitter. Um, I I, want to ask everyone, because... I don't feel like we've talked about this enough in sort of the open because Fax and I, you know, our show is based on like seasons. And one of the seasons was like the greatest tag team matches of all time. And at the end of that season, we said, I think Kenny and Kota Ibushi against the the young bucks um, for in new Japan in in, in 2018. I think we were like, we think that's the greatest tag team match of all time. We've seen a lot of other great ones, eighties, nineties, whatever. Uh, I kind of think Kenny And Hangman against the Bucks is the greatest tag team match of all time. And I want to spend a couple minutes because you guys were fucking there for it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I, it was funny being with Garrett because he came to stay with me for several days uh, in Chicago for that pay-per-view. And I just remember after we saw that show, it was like every half hour he would say, I can't stop thinking about that match. And that continued for days and maybe even weeks afterwards. I don't remember how, and that's the weird thing about when you watch a really good wrestling match, it's hard to remember exactly how you felt going into it, and then sometimes when you come out of it, you're like, oh fuck, like you guys said earlier, you go into it and you're like, ah, I don't really know how this is going to work, and then you just, like once it's over you're like, well fucking, of course it was the greatest match of all time, look who was in it, what the fuck were we thinking?
1: Yeah, like I didn't want to jinx it. But I legitimately went into that match with the, the Bucks versus Golden Lovers vibes going in, where I'm like, there's this great story, all these guys know each other. I I wasn't I watched it at Chris's house with a couple other friends, including friend of the podcast Tom. But I, I didn't want to say it out loud, but I was kind of going in going, This this could be the greatest tag match of all time. Like that's that's definitely not something that's normally on the radar as something that's possible, and I thought it was possible going in for that one.
3: I remember being in the arena and Derek asking me right the second it was over, was that the best tag match you've ever seen? (laughs) And I never want to, you know, it's like walking out of a movie and saying, that's my favorite movie. But yeah, yeah, you're right, though. Like just the rest of that show, every little bit, I was just like, I can't stop thinking about it. And then days (laughs) later, I can't stop thinking about it.
1: Well, it's like sometimes... You know, you leave the movie theater and, you know, you just saw Hobbs and Shaw or The Lighthouse <laughs> and, and it it does land like that, which was one of my favorite movies the last year as well.
0: well I but I part think part of it is, too, that the, the the fact that it comes after the Golden Lovers Bucks match, right? I think part of what makes this match maybe the greatest is the way it plays off that match. Like, there's nothing more heelish than when the Bucks bust out the Golden Trigger and then when Kenny kicks out at one on that, it's like, well, now he has felt the insult and, and like is responding to it. Right. And you're like,
2: whoa. <laughs> I think I told Garrett that is now my new favorite spot in pro wrestling is the deep into the match kick out at one that you can only break out yeah. so often and the response that it gets. It's well, like it- the most it's like the most visceral response as a fan because you get so used to in every match, within a couple minutes, guys are kicking out like at two and three quarters. And so to see a big move get hit and then a guy kick out at one, like, of course, everyone fucking loses their shit. And, and, and I think that I I remember that
1: night when we were, we were watching on TV, admittedly, we were in the arena. I I definitely left saying, well, one of these two matches is they're one a and one B. These are the two grass tag matches ever. But on my most recent view, it really drove it home that I, I think that this match the AEW match is, is is the king because there's so many of those moments. There's the kick out at one, like you said. There's Hangman giving the uh, one winged angel that oh, also yeah. doesn't finish it. That's fucking amazing. There's even him doing the the chicken wing, which you know we won't talk about who's chicken wing. Just a chicken wing. He loves chicken wings. Um, you know, there's just so many of those great moments that I I think I got to give this the edge. And and of course. The end of the match. The fact that the Golden Lovers match ended with this Golden Elite, it was an end. That was a pretty much a definitive end of a story, whereas the end of this match is very different. It it leaves it wide the fuck open. Was Kenny about to turn around? Were the Young Bucks about to kick Hangman? Was Hangman about to fucking lariat at Kenny? There, There's all kinds of stuff. And again, it, it, it's just,
2: I don't I even know where they could go. Th- If you're throwing a recipe together for what makes a really good match suddenly great and suddenly the best of all time, one of the elements that you have to have, like, yeah, you have to have the good in-ring action and you have to have good storytelling, but there's another element, which is that lingering thought in the back of your head during a match that there's something else that hasn't happened yet. And I remember during that entire tag match, as it was just building and building and building, in the back of my head, the whole time I'm thinking, who's gonna fuck over who? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that lingering tension of this match, as awesome as it's been, there's they've been deliberately building this tension between Kenny and Hangman, and it it like like I attention's the only way I, the word I can use to describe it because they haven't even capitalized on it yet. But the way that match ended with him gripping the top rope behind Kenny's back. Like Mm -hmm. that still has yet to be paid off on.
1: Well, and and I think that that's another just great thing about it's upending the trope of you have two singles guys. They're only put together to turn on each other. And that we all know that we know AEW is, is better in some ways, but that's not a Vince thing. That's a wrestling thing. That's a forever thing. So like the, the golden lovers match, you could say, yeah, the golden lovers are probably going over, but anything could happen. I would say going into revolution, Everybody thought the Bucks were winning, right? It was an inevitability. The Bucks, of course, were going to be champions, and Hangman and 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 uh, Kenny have to lose the titles because that's the that's the easiest way to turn this little descent into just a huge explosion. Uh, and then, so it was so surprising when that didn't happen, but in a beautifully crafted way. Hey, but it's so also, it's interesting
0: because it's go ahead. kind of like an emotional like pay. Like if you. Having now just recently, like this last week, watched like a bunch of the Kenny and Hangman matches in a row, there's a theme to the end of those matches, which is generally like hangman like finding something and just going like ape shit and throwing like a couple of buckshots, right? And he does that at the end of this match, right? He ends up giving Nick the buckshot outside and then Matt in that like that's what does it, right? And there's just every time, it's like fucking It's like Hogan in the 80s, like when he hits that comeback and he's like, I'm going to do it. And you're like, man, I'm fucking into this. And it's got a happy ending, which is unlike the Bucks lovers match, which is really honestly kind of quite sad. <laughs> like, and that's, that's the, sort of the reason why that's affecting is it's sad. But yeah,
2: and that's the story arc, right? Which is that whatever happened at All Out between Hangman and Jericho, Hangman just d- didn't have that extra whatever to get the job done. And if I could use a, a Dragon Ball Z reference. Please hangman has taken this time with Kenny to figure out how to go super sane he's oh, yeah. figured out how to take over a match and how mm. to finish it off in place of Kenny. Every, and that's, that's going back to all the things about, we were disappointed about with how they handled the elite in year one. Maybe that's part of the backdrop to Hangman's story is that there, that Kenny Omega came into aew with ridiculously high expectations about the kind of matches and the kind of wrestler he can be. And to some people, he's not the same guy he was in New Japan. But what's happened is in that time, hangman is finding himself. And this didn't come up during the uh, the the PTI segment segment with the that we did. I think that the obvious twist is not what's going to end up happening. I think Kenny's turning on hangman. And I think Hang, hangman's going to be the star baby face to come out of this. Because I think all of his motivations are correct. I do think he has been ostracized, ostracized to a certain extent out of the elite. I think he has been overlooked. I think he is to a certain extent a victim. And I think that's 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 the nice a nice. Never mind the fact that people lo- miss Kenny the Cleaner. People miss to a certain extent seeing the Young Bucks be heels. I mean well, that's where they they made their they they uh, what what's the they their teeth came in. What what am I trying to say? I had too many calls. cut their teeth on. Right. Teeth on. Yeah.
1: Well, and the the other thing is that going into that match, the guy that's arguably the biggest heel is Matt Jackson, not both Bucks, just Matt, right? right. And Nick is the one that's trying to play peacemaker that. There was even a chance going into that match, and again, I don't think so, but you're like, I could see the next match being Matt and Kenny versus Nick and Hangman or something like that because it seemed like each team had one guy that took this ultra seriously and one guy that's like, you guys are going too far, or, or I guess it would be Matt and Hangman against Nick and Kenny, but it's fucking anything could happen, and I agree. We don't know where this is going, but wherever this is going, somebody's ending up <laughs> with the world title. Um and Maybe I'm it's Matt Jackson. going to love it. So, Might be <clears throat>
4: so this is producer Ken here, and I'd like to bring something into the conversation. This is something I'm curious about. So on our show, The Best There Ever Was, our premise is that we do things on a seasonal-themed basis and we go over the greatest wrestling matches of all time. Now, uh, as someone who's not necessarily a wrestling fan but knows more than the average person, just through the osmosis of uh, you know uh, working with these fellows, um, something I'm curious about, and I'm I'm always concerned with not just with wrestling but with any type of media. But we're gonna to stick to wrestling here. So obviously AEW is this collection has has, has this incredible story behind it, and is this uh, has this collection is great collection of wrestlers putting on these great matches now, um, and this was going on before with NJPW and all that stuff. So you guys saying the greatest tag team match ever was this AEW tag team match. And then we have another one that's coming in that you just said, hey, here's this other AEW match that happened, what, a year later? Was it even a year later? That's that's the greatest tag team match ever to ever happen. Now, understanding that, you guys are know what you're talking about. You've been watching wrestling your whole lives, thinking critically about wrestling your whole lives. How much does recency bias play into this? Like, I'm sure that these both these tag team matches were incredible, and maybe they could be, one and two and the greatest ones ever. But, you know, it just seems like there's so much momentum behind this. And I'm just, in our own, like, programming, I'm always concerned of, like, okay, like, I get that this stuff is good, but how much does recency bias play into this? And I just, like, want to play devil's advocate and throw it out to the predetermined guys as well. Like, what do you guys think about that?
1: Let's let them take it first.
2: I actually have I I didn't think that I would discover my answer here, but... I think that we are in a unique position to say that over the last twenty to thirty years, specifically in pro wrestling, tag team wrestling has taken sort of a mid card status position, and it's been relegated to that for the longest time. Like you can only achieve a certain level of success uh, since basically the mid nineties to like until recently, and that was one of the things they specifically said they wanted to work on in AEW is they wanted to bring tag team wrestling back to the forefront because there was a time period in the 70s and 80s where tag team wrestling was the shit and it was one of the highlights of the show and we kind of got sick of it for, sick of it's not the right word it was booked in a way that it, it was unspectacular and it took TLC and it took gimmick matches to make it exciting again and I think what we're seeing now is you can literally just go have a straight up tag team match that tells a fantastic story because there's so much there to work with
1: yeah, I mean, I think because these guys are also athletes. So I think it's kind of like I think there's actually bias the other direction that I think that that the most recent stuff is so far superior when that, that just as an overall product. It's like when Adam Adovino says that he'd strike out Babe Ruth in three pitches. By the way, Adam Adovino, one thousand percent would strike out Babe Ruth in three pitches more than likely. And it, right. and if Aaron Judge or Eloy Jimenez or anyone like that, who's who's your guy again? Not Lucas Duda, the the young guy on the Mets. Chris, we, we got Pete Alonzo, Pete Alonzo. You put any of those guys back in 1925 Yankees, they would legitimately hit 700 home runs in a year. <laughs> they are, they are all so much better. And I think wrestling is the same way that not to say that there's not old stuff. That's great, but the average quality product is so much better. Like a random Trent versus Kenny Omega match in 1992 would be, Something that we still talk about now. And it's yeah. literally just some random match on Dynamite. So to be exceptional now is so much harder that I think there are things like Flare Steamboat. There are obviously, we have a whole podcast based around it. There's tons of really great shit from yesteryear. But it's, it's the, a lot of that, it's so much easier to differentiate great back then. Whereas now, you're, you're
0: really, truly are the best of the best of the best. I also do think we are are living in a golden age. And I think a lot about when that's going to peak. Um, Cause I think there always are peaks and you never kind of notice it before. Um, we'll talk about new Japan. I, I do think there's a, maybe a point which new Japan may have like peaked artistically at some point in the last couple of years that may be different now. Um, so it'll be interesting. Do you, you not see that, that Yano, Yano Hiromu match? I mean, <laughs> they're still peaking baby. Oh, I, Still great. We'll talk more about that. But I do, and AEW, I mean, I do think there are times when I think I'm not sure I'm ever going to love this quite as much as where we were in 2018, because that was amazing. And all in was an incredible moment. So I I think about that a lot, um, but I don't think this is, I don't think, particularly with that match, I don't think it's recency bias, because I do compare that to other great things. And I think you can have the argument that, hey, I think, Midnight Express and the Fantastics, or you know the Four Pillars in All Japan, you know maybe that those matches were a little bit better. I'll I'll take that argument if you want to say that that's you prefer that style, but it's in the conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. You no one can ever definitively, obviously, say what the best of anything is, like a hundred percent certainty. But I don't. I think what you can say for certain is. You can no longer have a conversation about the greatest tag team match of all time and not bring up this match. It would invalidate the entire discourse.
4: Right, and it's not it's not just with the tag team. We were just I was just taking that as an example because that's what you were talking about. But just re- with regards to the other matches as well, you know, and and Meltzer's five star, and then he adds more stars and all that shit, you know. And it's just like, and I'm sure there's incredible product that's being put out. I have no doubt about that. You know, there, that seems to be unanimous. That people who are into wrestling and are not some kind of weird, um, like, WWE stand where, like, they're just, this is my fucking team and I don't like this other stuff. You know, everyone is on board with that. But, you know, it just seems like, uh, I don't know, it's just something I'm always kind of curious about where, like, understanding that, yeah, this probably is a golden age of, of a new golden age of wrestling but just like to have every one of these new matches that's like oh no this is the greatest match ever oh no now this is the greatest match now this is so quickly well, in succession but, yeah
1: but part part of them too is it's the same dance partners too right so these things tend to come in series like there was flare steamboat they right. were both in the height of their powers they had a bunch of great matches that those were the greatest matches the four pillars in ajpw as as chris mentioned and now you know we have these guys and and kenny and, and already had okada right that they had right. they had they've had Probably the textbook answers are the greatest matches of all time. Three of the four or something insane like that. Greatest matches of all time by Meltzer's ratings, if, if you want to take that as canon. And again, it's the, a lot of the same people. So these two matches we're talking about, three out of four people are the same, right? And the fourth person that they added for this was another guy that travels with them and has for years. So it really makes sense. These are guys in their physical primes. They're in their storytelling primes. It kind of makes sense that we might not see... Four guys that have this level of chemistry, this level of athleticism, and this t- level of storytelling ability, all hitting every cylinder at the same moment. We may not see this again for another decade or two.
0: Because, I mean, think about it. I was going to say, because I think the guys I would compare these guys to are the Click, basically minus the drugs, right? But you look at the mm-hmm. Click, <laughs> You know, and those five guys all had incredible matches. But generally speaking, their best matches were against each other. Um, Sean well, and Razor. Don't... Everything Nash did was much better against Sean or the other guys. Well, I was about um, to say no. No one hears Nash though. Like, Nash only really had good matches against Click guys. Sure, sure. I I'm, I'm not taking anyone, Kevin Nash, in this story. I don't want to be, but I do think there. And from a storytelling perspective, those guys cared, and I think there's a lot of comparisons where when you just put all of them together, there is a chemistry that's just something special because those guys think about wrestling that much. They go up and down the road and they think about it in the way that people in the mid nineties were like, this is a golden age, right? Because the NWO and because of all these other things,
2: they do think you th- about, I, I was going to say the, the, to Ken's point though, do you think it's easy to live in the moment and say that something that you watched recently is like one of the greatest things you've ever seen. And, and it's really easy for pro wrestling fans on the whole to move on from things really mm-hmm. quickly. It's and true. there's there's stuff from I remember uh thinking it coming into today's episode I was thinking about like all the things aew has done right and naturally that leads you down the road of all the things that WWE could have done that they chose not to and I was thinking back to the fact that five years ago four to five years ago WWE's mid card was some of the best wrestling that they've had in years and they proceeded to do nothing with it I think, as far as recency, there's there's matches from that time period that I guarantee I would have argued with you were fucking great that now I can't even think of one off the top of my head. I don't know if the the Revolution match is one of those. I, I don't think it is. I think, like you said, there's consistently the same players involved. I think, like anything else, it's, it has to stand the test of time, right? If we're talking about it in five years, then it definitely is. So,
4: so like, that's a know, perfect lead to a question that I was going to ask you guys just from all this that would prove me right, at least partially. So of all of this stuff, for, this is AEW year one. What do you think, whether it's a wrestler, a match, a gimmick, a storyline, anything, that people are so hyped about now that, like Derek said, in five years it's going to fade and no one's going to talk about it or it's going to be forgotten, but everyone is so hyped on it right now?
2: Hard question, I know. I think it's actually, and and this is, if, if, if I could throw one more piece of shade or critique at AEW, I think it's a fucking shame that they pulled the trigger on that Omega-Moxley hardcore match that they did. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's fucking talking about it. That was year one. But, but like, nobody's talking about that match anymore. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing could be is that with some of the character
1: stuff... Depending on how organically that continues to live, like Orange Cassidy, I think we all agree is one of the best things about AEW right now. He it does some, have a shelf life, though. It absolutely has a shelf life. And if they just keep writing it out, it's going to be like, you know, WWE just bringing back all the Attitude Era guys all the time where it's like, oh, God, you know, so but I think the actual wrestling and the big heart and story of, of stuff, I, ca- I can't see that not playing well
2: in the future. You don't think there's something going on right now that like a year from now we'll be like, oh man, why were we so jazzed about that? Yeah, again, I think it could be something like
1: an Orange Cassidy, honestly. I, I can't see though it being like the elite guys. I think that those stories, like I think the, the Cody Dustin story, I think the elite story with the, the Bucks and Hangman, I think that, that stuff I think is going to stand the test of time.
2: I haven't heard from Garrett now. Garrett, what do you think? I
3: had a cat fucking around with me. I missed some stuff.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> Fuck
3: that cat. I mean, all of those lights out matches are
1: going to look lame once Nick Gage is here. I'm just waiting for Nick Gage.
0: Well, I do think, ask- though, there's something about, um, I I wonder, I wonder how Moxley's going to age as a top guy. Yeah, I think I think fair. there was a lot of energy around him at the beginning. And I I wonder if that's going to dissipate over time. I don't I don't know. I mean maybe it works out, but I think it's possible there's a shelf life for him that is not going to look quite as exciting 2 years from now.
2: But how much of that is tied to the same problem Joey Janella is having, which is that both of them are so tied to the idea of the death match or the hardcore match that once you separate them from that they lose some of their appeal I think that's what Moxley's going through right now he's made so many like in his promos he's made so many big threats about how he's going to ruin people and drag them through hell and after you throw Kenny through a (laughs) a barbed wire uh, wire mattress uh like, like, where do you go from there? Like, that's why, like, it's odd that we're not talking about that. Like, I think, I think yeah. unfairly, like, those guys got pigeonholed as hardcore guys. And Con- Tony Khan had made the point that they were not going to become a promotion that had death matches. But then very early on, that was one of the f- couple things that they showed their their fans. Yeah, but in those matches,
1: they, they just basically did a round robin, right, with Janela Moxley and Omega and then they really haven't gone back to that and I mean they've done some hardcore and some street fighty stuff but they haven't really gone for that kind of ECW style hardcore match since
0: it's actually interesting one of the things I think that may have played out well for them as much as I was deeply excited to see blood and guts uh live um to be able to see a war games match essentially war games live was like I mean when they announced that, when they realized, when when Fax and I realized that that was going to be a show that we were going to be attending, we literally like almost shed tears. Like my wife walked in the room and she's like, "Why are you guys emotional?" And we're like, "We're going to see War Games. <laughs> we're going to see War Games. <laughs> you don't understand how important this is to us. We're going to like watch like a War Games match. It's going to be live and it's going to be great. We're going to um, see someone turn on a Rhodes in a double cage. <laughs> but in some ways, I think I don't know if. Blood and Guts could have been as good as Stadium Stampede was. I think Stadium Stampede was incredible and played to their strengths and didn't force them to sort of up the violence level, but force them to up the creativity level in other ways. I don't know. I, I think that might have been one of the lucky breaks for them in, in all of this.
2: If AEW goes full New Japan-style match the next couple of years, are you still looking back fondly on Stadium Stampede the same way? Yeah,
1: because I think it's I think it's a totally a different thing. And, and I, I got to say that the reason that I feel so good about all of this lasting is that I haven't rewatched virtually any AEW. Uh, you know, I watched Stadium Stampede a, a couple extra times. I probably watched All Out and and Double or Nothing and, of course, All In multiple times. But other than that, I, did, I have not rewatched a single episode of Dynamite until the last week. And I got to say, it's all way more rewatchable than I was expecting. And there was way more shit that i liked that i didn't even remember than i expected. I, I again, will all of it last? Of course not. Uh are we maybe even overrating their tag division because it's maybe so top heavy, right? If if all of the big tag matches feature either the Young Bucks or the Lucha Brothers, it's pretty easy for every tag match to be fucking amazing. Is is really the whole division that good? That's another thing. I think there's a lot of what ifs, but I think generally I don't think there's any scenario where we look back at the first year of AEW as anything other than a fucking out-of-the-park Grand Slam.
2: Do you think it dealt a mortal wound to NXT? Well, no. I I think that they're not
1: mortally wounded. They're just old, and the fans are going to die soon. So,
2: again, (laughs) like... That's the same thing! (laughs) (laughs) If they've taken if they've taken that base. Yeah. I mean I was But they're gonna die natural
1: old age, not, not <laughs> a an AEW dealt injury. That's more what I was saying.
2: I want to ask a question of all three of you because this, this whole episode has been dedicated to AEW year one, but we met um during the StarCast for all in. And technically all in is not AEW. Technically. Technically but, it's nothing, right? It's nothing. Right. Well, and, and Garrett and I frequently talk about the fact that it's, it's wild that you can't even get a DVD or Blu-ray of the damn thing, because it'd be something I would love to have. Me too. Um, ROH doesn't sell it? ROH definitely did sell it, and and
1: New Japan had it on New Japan World for a while, and then they, they took it off at some point. But I mean like so, a physical copy.
2: No, no. Oh, oh. ROH used to sell the streaming copy. Right. Okay, yeah. A stream. A stream, I, yeah. I understand that we're getting digital now, but there's something about having like a physical copy of a. Well, well gonna, what I was going to ask, the, it, that's technically AEW year zero, and we right. met each other at StarCast, and I was going to ask this question and how relevant it is to this conversation. I have yet to figure out, but I, I want to get your take on it. Is AEW a foregone conclusion before that show ever actually starts, or was it a foregone conclusion only at the, at the conclusion of All In?
1: So, I mean, I'm gonna. I'll go ahead because I have very strong. I think that it was a foregone conclusion well before that show happened. I think the second it sold out as quickly as it could. I think as soon as Cody tweets Belzer, I think it's in their head. And then I think the second they sell the seats as quick as, as that, as quickly as that, they're already having conversations with, if not Tony Khan, they're certainly having very serious conversations with each other about, hey guys. We can really do this. Now, I don't think they thought AEW was going to be as big as it was, but I think they said, hey, Ring of Honor's never sold 10,000, right? We just sold 10,000. We sold more than the second biggest company has ever sold, and we did it in minutes. So I think they thought, hey, I don't know if we're going to to compete with WWE, but we certainly can immediately become the second biggest company in the United States and possibly the world.
0: I do think all in the event ends up erasing the doubt right like i i guess if all in the event itself had somehow i don't know how it would have but if it somehow had been a disaster like a critical dud maybe a critical dud yeah i think there was i guess a chance that it didn't work out because i think what the what the story goes is that tony khan was it all in and he was showing the the tnt executive like that event and T, you know the a guy from tnt kevin riley watched it and went like well A lot of these people seem to be very, very excited for this. Uh, I guess I'll give this a whirl. (laughs) Um, So I guess if they fucked it up somehow, there was a chance it didn't work. But I also now looking back, you go like, what were the odds these guys were going to fuck up a wrestling show they booked?
3: Low, very low. (laughs) Garrett, what are your thoughts? Uh, With Tony Khan in the house, like it just seemed like there was something really special that weekend and it just felt like it was bigger than what
2: even that event was. It felt like it was going to become something else. But do you think that like, like we had such a hard time, like everybody did getting tickets. Do you think that it was like, like, like Jim said, do you think that it was Cody's tweet that started all of this? Was it the, the, the way the tickets sold out immediately? Um, or was it the event itself that kind of like as soon as the event was over, it was like okay, AEW is definitely a thing because that fan, the, the fans in attendance at All In, were wanted another show, but they didn't get another show. What they got was a, a whole fucking promotion. Well, like it, I understand it, that the show was called Double or Nothing when they when they did it, but but it was a whole promotion.
1: Well, and that's where I think it was Cody's tweet at the latest, quite frankly. Because like even when they sold out, what I believe was the previous biggest show of Ring of Honor was that Mania weekend, which was which was Kenny versus Cody, and I think they realized, at the, and even the Japanese audiences were huge for these big matches with these guys. I think they realized Ring of Honor's not selling these seats; these couple of guys are, and we're all in this together
0: with so, a YouTube show,
1: with a YouTube show, and right. I think that. Things could have gone different. They they could have potentially taken over Ring of Honor. They could have, you know, taken over we're gonna be the New Japan New York guys or, or, or America guys. I think there's it, it didn't I don't know if it necessarily was specifically gonna be AEW with Tony Khan and TNT until after all in. But I think these guys running the next biggest promotion of WWE in North America, I think that's a done deal by the time the tweet goes out.
0: I will say my favorite thing about the sellout of of, um, of All In, by the way, was that the, the official line is it sold out 29 minutes and 13 seconds. And I know that that is not 100% technically true because I purchased faxinized tickets at like 4:42 or something like I have like the screen thing, like somehow someone's cart died somewhere (laughs) and two tickets (laughs) like slipped out into the ether and they ended up in mine. And I bought, I was like in a cab and I was like frantically refreshing and somehow, and I was like, I was like, "Facts. I don't know if these tickets are good, but I we and, apparently do have tickets." <laughs>
1: and I couldn't get it at all. Like again, if there was perfect technology, it would have sold out in twenty nine seconds. You know, like right. the, the the things that sell out quicker are just because the technology's gotten better.
2: I I don't know if Garrett and I have made this clear before. The day that they sold out that show, they were actually Ring of Honor was doing a show here in Chicago. Right. And mm-hmm. Garrett and I got to go to the show and hear the response given directly to Cody to that show where they like, that's gotta be so weird from, from ring of honor executives position. Like you're witnessing the birth of a new promotion on your show the day
1: of essentially. But again, I think if you look at who runs ring of honor corporate versus who runs the wrestling, I think these are all guys that were like hoping to be a part of it. Right. I think everyone was toper happy because they thought we're all going right. Because who gives a fuck about Sinclair, right? They're all like, let's do this other thing. Right.
2: Right. So, gun to your head, you have to give one answer. Best uh, pay-per-view of AEW year one. Ooh. If you're, you can only watch one for the rest of your life. uh,
1: I, oh, man. I think I'd have to say the original Double or Nothing. I don't feel great about it, but I think that's what I would go with.
0: I think it's Full Gear. I think Full Gear has... The sort of best one two punch on top, um, in terms of both of like the big matches working. Um and it, it is hard for me to give up Revolution because again, Revolution has, as we said, the greatest tag team match of all time. So that's easy an easy one to pick, but I, I...
1: Well see, I would take the argument though that I think Double or Nothing has the greatest one two punch in terms of quality matches, even though they're not the ones up top. Because I'd put Kenny, uh, sorry, Cody versus Dustin right next to the tag match in terms of an all-time classic. And then they also had Lucha Brothers versus Bucks, which was great. They had Kenny versus Jericho, which was very, very good. I mean, Hangman winning the Battle Royal, which was one of the funnest Battle Royals you'll ever see. I just think up up and down the card, double or nothing, it's just everything was at least really solid
3: man double or nothing you you brought up a match that i'm surprised hadn't been brought up yet which is that cody i mean i so guess we talked about it a little bit but cody versus dustin that is one of the most emotional matches i've ever seen it was it just had such a good old school feel to it fuck yeah i might have to go double or nothing on that
0: and it's it interesting to... watching that match again because it's like if you take out the blood you'd be like this was a pretty good match so but there is blood. something about dustin Really, like, almost fucking dying. <laughs> that, like, really takes it up. Oh, yeah. Well, and well, especially
2: what... <laughs> when Cody's there to kill the Attitude Era. And he's and he physically nearly yeah. his physical brother. <laughs> well, literally. And, and everything
1: about that match over-delivered, right? They started playing on BTE that that Cody was going to go into someone. It was going to be big. And we're all like, well, last time you said that was Nick Aldis. And, yes, we we, are, we we loved that by the time it happened, but we weren't happy when that got announced. And then they announced Dustin. It's like, I... Wasn't expecting this and I'm super into it. Then they did that promo Chris referenced, and it's like, holy shit. Then the match happens, it's epic and amazing. And then, possibly, if not definitely, the greatest post match promo moment, whatever, like ever. I mean, just every bit of it was better than the last, and all of it so exceeded expectations. And it still works on repeat viewings. So good.
2: Hmm. AEW year day. one MVP, go. I you know what, Cody,
0: I still think it's, co- I mean, Cody's been the rock. He's, he's like, he's cut all the great promos. He's had these great feuds. Um, I, I think he's, he's the guy, I think he's the guy that will look back on it and it'll be hard to explain to people how much we all loved Cody. Like, people will watch this like, oh, I mean, I guess Cody's pretty cool. But you know, it's like, no, 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 no. Like, when Cody came out at Double or Nothing, Bax turned to me and said, I think Cody's my actual hero. Like, yeah. as a person.
1: Yes. Well, and I said.
0: Yeah, go ahead. And I said, I I think I agree. I, I think I'm with you. I think Cody is a person who inspires me. Yeah.
2: I, I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I can't Somewhere, I can't all of our significant others are rolling their eyes at this conversation this why, right now. I told my
0: <laughs> wife how important Cody is to me, and I've told her that she will enjoy my next tattoo. Uh, I mean, I, I, I just flat up told my wife I was going to
2: leave her for Cody. Wow. Yeah. I just found out there's a relationship that's about to end. And two, there's only been one order for those temporary uh, tattoos for Cody's <laughs> t- thing. And it's apparently going to Chris. <laughs> yeah. So, so in my MVP, I got to say, by
1: the way, one guy we didn't talk about, he's, I don't think he's my MVP, is Pac. I mean, he gets lost in the shuffle. He had some really fucking hellaciously good matches. But I'm going to be your typical sports writer type because we are podcast journalists. Yeah. And I got to go, well, the V stands for valuable. And the most valuable guy, I think, without a shadow of a doubt, is Jericho. Correct. I think he, he establishes the title. And those promos, the first few weeks, I, like, I remember talking to my one of my brothers who has not watched wrestling on a routine basis in like 15 years. And he literally texted me, I just saw this Jericho promo. And it was the it, Welcome to the Inner Circle Week 2 promo. And he goes, did you see this Jericho? Like, he didn't even know that I knew. He's like, did you see this Jericho promo? And I'm like, yeah. AEW awesome. I fucking love it. And he's like, it got, and he watches every week now. Like, he's that exact demographic. Like, Jericho has just, and I think Cody's number two in my mind, but I think Jericho is the guy that has established this company. He's the most valuable guy from year one.
2: Well, and, and I want to agree with you. And, and and here's going back to that week two establishing the inner circle promo. He did something that we hadn't seen in so long which was when the fans started chanting, we the people, he squashed it. Mm -hmm. Like live, like you watch WWE try to ignore problems and, and it doesn't go away. And Jericho just write out, Hey, shut the fuck up with the, the we the people chant that's over with. And it was like the people, that was what they wanted to hear. It was like, they had been waiting for decades to have their shit addressed. The other thing (laughs) is you forget towards the end of Jericho's career, and wwe he was able to get everything over he got a yep. potted plant over shook Scarf. d shook d is going to be known as pineapple pete for the rest of his time in wrestling because chris jericho says something one time and it's a hit
0: and he yeah. made probably thousands of dollars off of pineapple Pete t t-shirts already
1: right. oh, it's, one of, it's one of the best sellers on pro wrestling tees i looked i looked today um, and and, it may, and he's also just a cool heel, and not this like he he's a tweener. He's gonna be a face. Like he's a full blown heel. Everyone treats him like a heel. Yet he's so fucking cool, and people want to sing along to his song.
0: I was very excited to sing Judas at new in Newark. I was very excited.
1: You keep bringing up bad bad fucking news, Chris. I know.
2: Well, well, go back to uh, all out and a little bit of the bubbly. Garrett and I the next day, I remember as we were getting our shit packed in our hotel, one of the things we were talking about is like, it was so fucking awesome watching him be shitty to the bucks on the way out about winning the title. Like it, he, he was reveling in the fact that all of these core pieces of the AEW roster had to deal with the fact that Chris Jericho was now the centerpiece of that show, just like he said he was going to be. Also, it's good champagne. I enjoy it. <laughs> you have some
0: i've i've had some there's still another bottle uh at, on uh, during uh, a, a a few months ago i ran a, a wrestlemania 5k um a social distance 5k and then afterwards uh opened up uh, a little bit of the bubbly and some orange juice um made some mimosas they were delicious uh and also tweeted a picture of that together and said hey you know AEW's newest tag team chris jericho uh and uh and orange cassidy
2: and a lot of people like that tweet yeah i saw that what you should do because this, this is needs a great to be combo our, though it's this great needs combo. to be our Delicious. new goal here is we need to at least you either save that bottle of a little bit of the bubbly or we need to get another one because what we need to do is the four of us need to go to a show sometime
1: again i yes. mean the yeah the first one we went to is a pretty good one
2: well yeah. but i mean like together like sitting yeah. there to enjoy the show
1: yes I mean, you can come to Atlantic City at the end of July. We'll see some GCW. We'll see Nick Gage on the boardwalk while maintaining six feet of distance and wearing a mask.
2: I've got one lemon white claw here that's left, so we can either extend this a little bit longer and you can come up with some more conversation, or I have to save well, this one for later. Well, well I what,
0: we need to finish off there. Garrett needs to
3: give us his MVP. That's true. It's that cat. Yeah, it was <laughs> my cat that came in here. No, as far as... You already said it, Chris, Cody, Cody has had the best in ring stories. He has the best promos. He's the one guy that he can pull me in nearly every single time with whatever he's doing.
0: I always knew Garrett was my favorite of you two.
2: That so is no- not what I wanted to hear. N-
0: nobody said Peter Avalon, huh? <laughs> 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 I will say though, and we will, maybe we'll wrap on this. Like it, it's, but it's interesting to me that the, uh, Um, there was so much consternation about the librarians at the top. Like, the librarians suck. I don't get it. And it's like, look, it was just a lower card. Like, it's just a joke, man. And it works as a lower card joke. He's much more valuable as a low carder with the stupid librarian thing that I think has gotten over to a certain extent. But he basically just loses. Don't worry about it.
2: (laughs) Is that WWE PTSD talking where you see something really stupid pushed into yeah. a really serious spot on the show
0: yeah i think it is
1: well and i think people didn't realize at first too because dark was so good they didn't realize that certain people wrestling dark every week were basically the jobbers right cutler and and avalon and leva leva bates
0: the like right. the like slightly you know the, the mike sharps the the lanny poffos of the jobbers <laughs> you know
2: when whatever happened to that goddamn sex cult it's a great unknown. <laughs> unknown. I ask that question every week.
1: All right. Well, I think with that, let's let's wrap it up. We 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 talked about our boners. We'll end it on a sex cult. This has been fun, gentlemen.
2: Got to do it again. to give some thanks to Kent for playing the playing the host you there can. for a little bit.
1: You were you were a great host, Kent.
0: And we'll be back uh at, we do have a little bit more of this series. So, I hope you guys have been enjoying us deep diving on this stuff. So uh, it's been fun for us. I mean, we're just drinking some White Claws on a weeknight.
1: Just right just regular I, I day. I enjoy
2: every, conversa- every conversation I share with you guys is, is a blast, and this has been a lot of fun, and I'm excited for much more to come. Indeed. All right. Well, adios. Yeah, I've been Chris. No, I'm
0: facts. We've been the curtain jerks, and and, and they're predetermined. So hit our
2: goddamn music.